At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then, book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to you want to talk to someone but not just anyone alma is there to help you find the right fit visit helloalma.com therapy 30 to schedule a free consultation today that's helloalma.com therapy 30 oh beautiful friends i am excited for this episode i have finally found a guest that my kids are themselves so excited about i am having a conversation today with charlie jabley Jabley is also known as Charlie Rocket. He is a globally recognized serial entrepreneur, speaker, and influencer on a mission to transform millions of people worldwide. He was a young CEO and founder of Street Execs, an Atlanta-based hip-hop firm managing megastars such as Travis Porter, Young Dolph, Bankroll, and Charlie sold millions of records and changed the trajectory of how to market to millennials. And while all the success was pouring in, Charlie was battling depression. He was working through binge eating, crippling insecurities, and a brain tumor. So to everyone on the outside, CEO Charlie was crushing it, but on the inside, he was dying, unhealthy, unhappy, unfulfilled. And in 2017, Charlie retired from the music industry at the ripe age of 29, made the decision to reinvent his life in the pursuit of his childhood dream to become an athlete and share his story. And in those first two years, he lost 135 pounds, ran three marathons, reversed the growth of his brain tumor, became an Iron Man, something I aspire to be one day in my own life. Charlie's story has inspired millions across the globe and has landed him in the spotlight of Forbes, ABC News, CBS, Fox, Adweek, Daily Mail, and so many more. But maybe more incredibly, he is on a mission right now to change people's lives. And part of why my kids know who he is is that there have been unbelievable stories of transformation that are happening as Charlie rolls up and sees the opportunity to take someone who is down on their luck and turn their story around. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Charlie Rocket to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. excited that you're here. Honestly, this is such a treat. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I tried to give a, a little overview of you. You've, like me, had uh, a couple of different careers, a, a couple of different identities, as it were. But in your own words, could you, for the listeners who are less familiar with your story, give a little bit of an introduction for who you are, and maybe more importantly, 
why do you believe you are here? What is the purpose of your life and how are you trying to live that out? Okay, I would say, who, who am I? First and foremost, I'm a dreamer. I'm a, a delusional optimist. I believe that everything is possible, not just anything. I believe we can live multiple lifetimes in this one lifetime. And, you know, I believe I was put on this earth to show people that a common person can overcome anything and become anything. To be, you know, the cameraman for Soldier Boy and to get fired to become the big time music executive a couple years later, or to be 300 pounds and say, I'm going to be a Nike athlete and a year and a half later being the biggest Nike commercial of all time. But the thing is, if somebody's listening to this, they might think I can't do that. But why I'm here is to show people the power of delusional optimism and to, to, to literally speak in, in forms of magic. Like a lot of times we won't tell people our dreams because we, there's this saying that was taught to us when we were children. Oh, don't say anything. You're going to jinx it. No, it's the opposite. It's the speak it as if it's already done because the root origin of the word abracadabra in Aramaic means as I speak, I create. So when I'm, when I'm in high school, I'm telling my friends, I'm going to be on tour. Next thing you know, I'm on a world tour with Soldier Boy. Like magically, yes, I put in work, but there is, there's, there's mathematics. One plus one equals two. And that is 100% correct. But then there's magic. One plus one can equal a thousand. Both are right. Everybody's right. And when you study like quantum physics, it like confused the physicists, but physics are right. And so is quantum physics. One is like mathematics. The other one is like magical. And it's like, whoa. So there's two worlds going on at the same time. So I've done both in my life. I've done the, I worked for this and I got this. And then there was the, I need a miracle. And a miracle came, but I write down in my notebook every single day, all my dreams. And I, I, I go into the future and a friend of mine introduced me to this concept called futuring. And it's just where I, I might be here right now, but I go into the future and I feel all the sensations and I write them down and I go on, you know, uh, quantum manifestation walks. And, and then when I get done with it and I see everything, I go and tell everybody. And I say it so confidently that I don't give the people who would doubt me any oxygen to say, Charlie, that's not realistic because they don't want to talk me down because I'm so excited that, you know, they're like, you know what, I'm not even going to offer my opinion. But <laughs> I believe that's why I was on this earth to help unlock people, to show them that it's way more fun to live a life of your dreams and dreams are so magical and dreams are inside of us. And they, sometimes we didn't choose them. They're just already there. And we shouldn't ignore them just because it might not be realistic or a lot of times like we have to use logic, but the dream was there for a reason. And if you chase it delusionally, magic happens. And I always say, Dave, this isn't our practice life. 
this is our only one. So we might as well, like, if you're going to live a life, you might as well live the most interesting life ever lived because this is it. Oh, man. The thing is, there are people out here listening in real time that have a voice inside of them that has questioned if they have the possibilities that are a thing that they could actually tap into if they just believe mm-hmm. or if they are someone who could actually have an impact on other people. And what's been, I think, amazing, certainly in the last year of watching your journey in this dreamer project and the way that you have decided to just show up for other people and instill in them a second chance and still in them some borrowed belief. You believe in them in a way that maybe they don't believe in themselves. You are as a single person affording people belief and giving people an opportunity to fundamentally transform their life. And what I, what I hope is that people who are in your orbit feel inspired to believe that they also possess those same capabilities to transform lives around them as well. Mm-hmm. Because I think all of us have that inside mm-hmm. of us. Absolutely. Um, one of the biggest things that that I craved when so so when I was a kid, I, I always wanted to be an athlete, even though I was always overweight. I couldn't help that I loved athletics, but I couldn't keep up with the other kids. Like when we would play basketball and, you know, the shirts versus skins, when I would be picked as skins like. I wouldn't want to take my shirt off. Like, I don't think I took my shirt off in public until I was 28. Like, even at the pool, like, I was just always so embarrassed. Like, I never had a girlfriend until the age of 30. Like, I was just, I just didn't know how to love myself. And I had this dream and I buried it. I buried it to do something realistic, which was I'm going to be a businessman. And I got good at it. And sometimes it's the thing that your weakness is what makes you really, really strong at something else. Because I had a a social anxiety disorder, like in high school, I never went to like a house party or the football games because I was too, like I I was, I, I didn't know how to do it. I was afraid of the weekends. I never knew if this was a thing, but like Fridays and Saturdays, terrified me because I didn't know how to have fun, but my comfort zone was like work or like doing business. So the weekdays I was happy because I knew how to interact with people with business. But man, as I got older, I, I, I got good at business and my, my problems racked up. Like I became over 300 pounds. And like you said earlier, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And at the height of my career, I managed this this artist um, named Two Chains, and Two Chains, you know, uh, we we've we've been nominated for six Grammys, we won one Grammy, uh, world tours, um, forty million albums sold, and I remember the night of the Grammys, I didn't even want to go, and I didn't go the night we won a Grammy, and it's because I was so sick, and I knew that this life I was stuck in wasn't for me anymore. And I said, you know what? I want to go back to my childhood dream. Even though it makes no sense. My mom said, how are you going to make money being an athlete? I said, I don't know, but I got to do it. If I'm going to die, I need to die knowing that I experienced my dream. And 
I mean, all my problems became my greatest asset. My 300 pounds and my brain tumor, when I got aligned with my dream, those things that were so bad became what made me a Nike athlete. Our problems are our superpowers. Do you think with your pursuit of business that there was something in the conceit that if you could be and when you were successful in business, then you'd be lovable or then you'd be affirmed as being good or worthy? Was like, was there something that was driving you in some ways out of insecurity Mm -hmm. or out of of a lack of self-love to achieve, which by the way, you achieved. So there was some good that came from it, but was some of that motivation born out of something that wasn't as I 100%. I break it down to you like this. So since I wasn't good at socializing, I craved social, but I didn't know how to go into anybody else's world. So I got good at making my own world. And that was business. Business would allow me to interact with people and people would come to me because I didn't want to be alone. But the fact that I had a social anxiety, it made me get good at business. Because what did I do on Friday night instead of going to the football game, the high school football game? I'm working on uh, my music business and then people are coming over to record. And then I asked my mom for a digital camera. And then next thing you know, I'm filming these videos. Next thing you know, like the little website and the videos are taking off. And then next thing you know, I get a phone call from Interscope Records. The next thing you know, I'm on tour with Soldier Boy. The next thing you know, I'm interacting with people and I have everything I needed, but it stemmed from a problem. My problem became my gift. And then when that created a problem of me being extremely overweight and I wanted to be an athlete, then that problem became my gift again. It's just, I believe that like in the Nike commercial um, with Colin Kaepernick that I was in, it was actually a very like magical occurrence how this came about because I write in my notebook every day. I'm going to be a Nike athlete, like my quantum possibilities notebook. And I would tell my friends and I would tell my family and they were like, um, I, you know, they didn't want to like hurt my feelings, but they're like, Charlie, I don't, you don't play for the Lakers. You're not, you know, in the Olympics. How are you going to be a Nike athlete? I was like, look, I keep seeing in my mind that I'm going to be in a commercial with LeBron James and Serena Williams. I'm like, Nike needs a common man athlete. Like, I just know that this is the future of Nike. Like a dreamer, common man athlete who can't run fast, who can't jump high. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a fan-made Nike commercial. And I'm going to put it out. And so I started calling my um, friends in Hollywood because I'm now living in Santa Monica. I moved to LA to get, I retired from the music industry, moved to LA and I'm, I'm, I'm calling my friends and, and they're like, okay, Charlie, what are you looking for as far as a filmmaker? And I'm like, okay, I need somebody who can shoot this like cinematic with anamorphic, you know, prime lenses. And I said, you know, the, the music has to be like Hans Zimmer, inspirational. And then I need this color grading. And then we're going to do this voiceover. They're like, Charlie, that's going to be six different people. That's not one person. I'm like, yep. no, I can find somebody who could do it. And they're like, Charlie, like, be realistic. 
And I started getting frustrated because all my all my friends in Hollywood, they were just telling me that it's not possible because they're like, Charlie, what's your budget? I said, a few thousand bucks. They said, you want to make a real like fan made Nike commercial? It's going to cost you like forty, fifty thousand dollars. I was like, no, 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 I can find it. And one day I'm sitting in Santa Monica. I write down in my notebook. I said, today is the day I search slash found my videographer slash editor, it's done, exclamation mark, it's easy, exclamation mark. Two hours later, my roommate walks in the front door. And my roommate, he's just an accountant at a health food company, not somebody who should be followed by a cameraman. He walks in the front door <laughs> and there's this cameraman holding this big rig with all these accessories on it, like a steady cam rig. And I'm like, Morgan, what are you doing? Why is there a cameraman following you? He said, I got a random phone call today from my friend Manny who wants to shoot something for his Airbnb business. So he sent this guy over and I'm thinking to myself like, wow, this could be so magical. Like I just wrote this in my notebook. But then I looked at this guy who walked in the front door and I'm like, cause I'm a very colorful, like inspirational, you know, guy. And this dude was God. Like all black, like hair over his face, like looked like a, you know, like a, a, a kind of like an emo rock star from the 90s. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God. So I, I, I asked him a question. I said, I said, uh, can I see some of your work? And the second he spoke, I was like, oh, God, no. He was like, yeah, I'll show you some of my work, but nobody ever pays me. I'm just doing this job because it was a Lamborghini. And I was like, whoa, 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 slow down. Like he went on a rant, like a very just negative rant. And I was like, let me just see your work. So I pull up his website, open up my computer, pull it up. And there was this short film on there and I clicked on it. He's standing behind me on the couch. And I said, man, this is amazing. Did you shoot this? He said, yeah, I shot it, you know. And I was like, did you, did you edit this? Because a lot of times the people who shoot don't edit, especially in films. And he said, yeah, I edited it. You know, I used Final Cut. I said, what camera equipment did you use? Because this is beautiful. He said, well, I'm kind of a hoarder. Like, I just, like, take whatever money I make and just buy equipment, even though no, nobody ever hires me. I'm like, okay, the music on this, because a film is only as good as the music, the scoring. I said, who made this music? He said, well, I used to be in a rock band like 15 years ago. <laughs> we were on the Warp Tour, but then our record label dropped us. And, you know, like, I'm still trying to make it as a musician. I was like, this is amazing. I said, who did the scoring on this voiceover? Because, like, the, the mixing and the mastering of the audio was so good. He said, well, I have a recording studio in my bedroom, and I'm, like, really good at engineering. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, okay, okay. Who did the color grading on this? Because that's usually a specialist. You outsource it. He said, well, I taught myself Da Vinci. Like, I'm like, you are literally everything. Can I hire you? He said, man, I applied to Hulu two weeks ago and they wouldn't hire me. I said, I'll hire you right now. And it's just so crazy that like I wrote it in my notebook and he walked in my front door and, and, and I said, okay, look, let's go out to eat. We went to the counter. 
uh, little burger restaurant in LA. We got some vegan burgers. He was vegan also, which was kind of cool. So we sit down and I said, look, I'm going to be a Nike athlete. He said, how are you going to do that? I said, I said, we're going to make a fan-made Nike commercial. Nike's going to see it. And then Nike's going to want to sign me to be a Nike athlete. He said, dude, you're crazy. I was like, just trust me. Like, I know this is going to work. So we sat down with a piece of paper. We scored it out. Like we like kind of storyboarded it all. And we shot this film. And I asked him, I said, what's the budget going to be to make this? He said, hmm, $350. I was like, that's it? He said, well, all I need is to rent a lens. Um, he wanted to rent a prime lens, but he, but he said, if we rent it on a Friday, we get it a whole weekend for the same price because then you return it on Monday. And then he said, we need some PVC pipe and two belts. I was like, why do we need PVC pipe? He said, well, because you're going to run in front of me there's going to be this 10 foot PVC pipe connected to me. So the camera is always the same distance from my feet when I'm running and I'm going to be on a skateboard and I'm pulling them. So we run all throughout LA, but like the background changes, but my feet are in the same place. He made this amazing score, like Hans Zimmer type score. And it was just, we put it out and within three days, like I only had about 10,000 followers on Instagram and it just spread like wildfire. And Nike called me and I'll never forget that moment that I'm standing in my living room, the same place he walked in the front door. And I saw my phone and it said Beaverton, Oregon on the caller ID. And I just freaked out. Uh, Nike invited me up to their campus. And I thought it was just going to be a cute little like feel good meet and greet, you know, like I'm a businessman. I kind of understand how corporations operate. I'm like, oh, that's a little feel-good story, little photo op. Let's give them some shoes. So they fly me to campus, and there's all these people just clapping. They all knew who I was. And, and the guy, Andy, Andy Miguel, uh, who invited me, he said, he said, somehow you got our entire campus in a frenzy. We don't know how you did it, but you got our campus in a frenzy. I was like, I just made a film. And um, one of the one of the employees walked up to me and he whispered in my ear, he said, I don't know what they have planned, but they're treating you better than they treat LeBron right now. Like, <laughs> I'm like, OK, because they gave me like like 50 pairs of shoes. Like it, they walked me into this conference room and it was a massive conference room and all these televisions had my face on it. And there were like 30 people in here. And they said, Charlie, have a seat. I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? And uh, one of the top executives in the entire company, he said, Charlie, you inspired us because we forgot why we came to work every day. Mm. We forgot that sports is all about dreams. He said, you've inspired us to completely change the direction of our marketing and I'm thinking to myself, Dow 30 company, these marketing plans are built out in advance. Budgets are cleared. And he's, he's sitting here telling me that we're changing for 2018 our entire marketing plan based around the film that I created. What came out of it? 
became the biggest Nike campaign of all time, made billions and billions of dollars, very controversial, but it worked. And it was all about dreams. And it was a commercial called Dream Crazy, which was uh, dedicated to me. I was able to be in it. Um, it was a Colin Kaepernick commercial. And everybody in the film was fe- it, it, like featured their problems. Yeah. Featured their problems and that the problems didn't hold them back from their dreams. And I got to see myself in a Super Bowl commercial. I got to win an Emmy for a commercial that was named after me and the the craziest thing. And this is what blew my mind, my friends and my family, because you can see the pages in my notebook. I would always write, I'm going to be in a commercial with LeBron James and Serena Williams. And both of them were in that commercial. You know, what's amazing when I, 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 the number one, the commercial is amazing. But there's two things that just, I think, come screaming out to anyone who's listening in real time. Number one, the the thing that made it successful was the relatability that you had to the average consumer. As much as, yep, it is aspirational to want the shoes that LeBron wears. There is something in that empathy bridge that you created in having been someone who lost 135 pounds, who is working on a fitness journey, who's attempting to become a better version of themselves that also, by the way, looks like and is hoping for the same kind of life that most consumers of this product end up having in their own life. Seeing themselves represented in the commercial is part of what makes it successful. But the second thing, and I think this is maybe the most important thing, is that it all started with belief. Mm. That you had uh, you had a belief, and, and I would say almost a, a, an unreasonable belief, right? Like you had this, this optimism and this conceit that it was already done mm-hmm. in the way that you were writing it down. And what's interesting is I think when you start writing things down in that way, as though they're already done, your brain just starts looking for ways to connect what would need to be true to make this thing that I believe has already happened, happen. Mm-hmm. And you did that. And there's, uh, you know, for anyone who wonders, like, how do I get unstuck? How do I move forward when it feels so hard? Part of it comes in connecting to hope. And in that connection to hope, just believing that you're going to find a way through Mm -hmm. so that looking for the way through, you'll see it. Because I do believe that you end up finding the things that you are looking for. If you're looking for the answers to how you're going to get through, you're going to, you're going to find them. I got two things that I want to add to the audience listening. And the first is like a lot of people say, if I see it, I'll believe it. But I agree 100%, but I don't need my eyes open to see. Mm. I can close my eyes and imagine, and I could see, and then when I open my eyes, I go into any um, scary journey with one mindset, and the mindset is something I never really heard anybody in the, like, motivate, I listen to a lot of motivation, but I never heard anybody ever say this. It's easy. It's easy. Like, Like those words, we always say, oh, it's going to be hard. I'm going to have to grind. I'm going to have to like, like blood, sweat and tears. Well, yes, but the universe 
is like a restaurant. You're going to get what you order. And if we order hard and grind, then we're going to be delivered hard and grind. But if we ask for easy, if we ask for miracles, if we ask for some sort of blessing in that delusional, optimistic way, I always just say, oh, it's going to be easy. Like I remember when I got fired um, from being Soldier Boy's cameraman. I decided that was the best thing ever. Like I have this philosophy that I live by and it's called winning streak. And it's kind of crazy because like thousands and thousands of people have now tattooed winning streak on them. Um, It's really weird, but it's a philosophy that it's like, I'm on a winning streak. So I got fired from, from working for soldier boy. And I told my mom, I'm on a winning streak. She's like, what you talking about? I'm like, the cameraman ain't getting rich. The manager is. I'm like, I'm going to be the manager. So this is a big win. And then it's like everything in my life, if something bad happens, I'm on a winning streak. But I find that gratitude in every single thing to where I'm so delusional about the world that I'm always looking for things to be easy, for things to be going for me. The universe, like there's paranoia, which is the universe is conspiring against me. And then there's pronoia. The universe is conspiring for me. And it's like, oh my God, like I'm going to be a Nike athlete. It's going to be so easy. Like, oh, the fact that I got a brain tumor, that's a good thing. I was 300 pounds. That's a good thing. Like I'm going to like ask for my cameraman to walk in my front door. Oh, I'm on a winning streak. It's going to be easy for me to be a Nike athlete. When I told Adrian, the videographer, I said, look, it's going to be easy to be a Nike athlete. We're going to make this film. Nike's going to see it. Well, guess what happened? Exactly what I said. Abracadabra. Abracadabra. Like, as I speak, I create. It's going to be easy. I literally, even when things are hard, I'm still saying, oh, it's going to be easy. And it just gives so much faith in all the people that I'm around and it inspires people and it keeps me going because if I believe something will be easy, I'll actually show up to try. If I think something's going to be hard, I'm going to get paralyzed and I'm probably not even going to try. So it's the thing I'm prescribing to everybody watching. It's easy and you can see it to believe it, but just close your eyes. Just close your eyes and see it and then show up. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Take me back to the beginning of Street Execs because I it's I'm fascinated by the hubris, the conceit that you as a young human thought, you know what? I'm just gonna go do this. I I love the music business and this is the thing I'm gonna do. What was the genesis of Street Execs? <laughs> And then, I, I mean, I definitely want to spend some time on what's happening in real time because, holy goodness, you are on a winning streak for real. But I want to, I want to understand first where it starts. Okay. So I grew up in Atlanta. My, my grandfather sold vacuum cleaners. My mom sold vacuum cleaners. My dad sold vacuum cleaners. And I sold vacuum cleaners. It was like just what we did. My parents never made much money, but... When you know how to sell, it's kind of like that operating system that allows you to do almost anything in life. So I knew how to sell, but I knew vacuum cleaners wasn't my destiny. So when I was in um, high school, I asked my mom, can I put a recording studio in my bedroom? 
Next thing you know, all the kids are coming over from the school. And then when I ended up Soldier Boy's cameraman and got fired, that was the birth of my management company. And I said, you know what? Managing artists is going to be easy. I was 18 years old. Um, <laughs> but I got I signed this girl group and I got them a record deal with Interscope Records. The girl group ended up firing me. They left me for Sierra's manager uh, after I got on the record deal because they were like, well, we can't have a teenage manager. Like we're a big group now. And so I got fired. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm from Atlanta. I need to keep it authentic. I need a, a group that makes club music. Now, you know, Atlanta is all about the nightclubs. So I found this group. They specialized in dance music for girls. Girls love dancing to their music. And I said, they're going to be the future. And their name was Travis Porter. Three kids in a group called Travis Porter from Decatur, Georgia. And this is where I decided not to get them a record deal. I said, you know what? We're going to do this old school. I'm going to do this like vacuum cleaner sales. Like we're going to do this independently. And I would go from every radio station from Jackson, Mississippi to Washington, D.C., knocking on doors, just like I would with vacuum cleaner sales. And I'm like, look, like I got this group. Boom. I built the relationships. I asked for a referral. I get told no a hundred times. I'm still showing up. And I just like I work my butt off passing out CDs, just like I would hang door tags on the door you know, for the vacuum cleaner sales. I pass out CDs outside the club every night. And Travis Porter had three top 20 songs in the United States without a record deal and without a penny spent on marketing. It was Unbelievable. old school, grassroots. And I learned it all from my family selling vacuums. That is when Street Exec started. And we then found this artist named Titty Boy, who uh, we, we renamed him and he became Two Chains. He used to be in a group uh, that was signed to Ludacris for 10 years. And I'm like 20, 21 years old. And, you know, I approached him. And, I, you know, me and my business partners, I had two business partners, Tech and Al. We were street execs. And Tech was a DJ and Al was, you know, like a, a you know, educated guy from Savannah, Georgia, but he was like from the streets. And we approached Two Chains and we said, we want to be your manager. And he's like, he, he kind of laughed at us because he was in the game for 10 years and we're like young. And he wanted this other guy to manage him. This is what's crazy. And this is a lesson for everybody listening. There was this guy named Rico Brooks, who's very successful music manager. He said, I want Rico to do my management and I want y'all to do my promotion because he sees me outside the club passing out CDs. So he thinks I just do promotion. So he puts us in a room together and we would have these weekly meetings. And I was like, look, I know we're going to be the manager. We're not going to ask for permission to be his manager. We're just going to do all the work that the manager should do. So I'm walking in with 30 days, 60 day, 90 day game plans. We're investing our own money into the CDs. He walks out the club. He sees us passing out the CDs. We're setting up college tours, radio tours. We were doing so much that Rico, the big time manager, he stopped coming to the meetings because we just were, we were doing his job for him. And we yeah. didn't ask for permission to be great. 
and anybody watching, if there's something that is yours, don't ask for permission. Just go take it. Like it was a risk because, yeah, we could have done all the work and somebody else made all the money. But that's kind of fun. Like seeing like, what if I put myself all the way out there and give it everything I got? But if I think it's mine and that's all I think about is going to be mine. But if I think, oh, no, he's going to make money. I don't have a contract. Then you end up not doing anything. And then you don't get to live the life of your dreams. All right. You just use the key word dreams because you are making dreams come true in real time. This dreamer tour is something else. I, I think I probably fell most in love with you and the work that you're doing around Richard because, oh my goodness, it's just the greatest <laughs> story ever. But there's a, a series now of unbelievable stories of people who did not realize the minute before they met you that their life was about to change. And then after meeting you, they have a completely different trajectory in their life. Tell people who are unfamiliar with what Dreamer ends up meaning and how you are now using the team and the bus and everything else to fundamentally change the lives of people that you interact with. Well, I had a vision. <laughs> I had a vision. <laughs> I was in Sedona and we were quarantined. I was quarantined. This was right when COVID hit. And there's an a labyrinth. You know what a labyrinth is? Okay, wow. so I'm walking around a labyrinth wondering. One, if I'm going to die, you know, like COVID, these thoughts go through your head. And I'm like, okay, if if we're all going to die from this disease, which it felt like the whole world was, I was like, how how do I want to go out? I was like, I'm not, I don't want to go out by like staying in my house. Like, like, what if, what if I sold my house? And what if I pulled the dream machine out of storage? And I just go around and give everybody the same feeling I got to experience when Nike made my dream come true. It's like, what if I just dedicate the rest of my life, however long that is, to making dreams come true? And I saw it and I was like, okay. I sold my house immediately. I got in the bus and I started going across the country. And so far we're at almost a thousand dreams come true or people we've helped. The biggest one, which was like three, four months ago, which was Richard, we're at a grocery store in L.A. on Easter Sunday. It's the Easter Sunday miracle. Pull up and there's this guy sitting on a shopping cart and I always go talk to him. And I don't ask people, you know, what they do or how they ended up here. I always just ask, what's your dream? And he told me that he was a world famous painter in his like years ago before he was homeless. And I looked him up on the internet and this man had painted for Muhammad Ali, Richard Pryor. I mean, this dude's art was amazing. And I said, you know what? Let me see if there's something I can do to help. So I went back to the dream team. There's about 10 of us. And we tour all over the country together. And I said, guys, like, I love this dream. Like, what if we like throw him an art show? in Beverly Hills and we make his dream come true and we build him a website and we sell his art. And within three weeks, we he had a sold out art show in Beverly Hills. He sold over $250,000 worth of art online. Oprah bought a painting live on television. So like every news outlet is interviewing us. Steve Harvey bought a painting. 
uh, Will Smith share the story. I mean, it was just insane. And, 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 and his dream came true. And he got to experience that sensation of having his dream come true. And that's all I want to do for everybody. And sometimes we'll just pull up at somebody's house. There was this lady the other day, she, uh, she sells stuffed animals. Like she makes crochet stuffed animals and she does that to supplement her income because she had four heart surgeries. Insurance stopped paying. Like people are really out here like struggling. We pull up at her house, we go live on Instagram. And in one hour, she made about $20,000. But I try to use my social media platform in a, in a, in a, like a, a selfless way. Like if I got these people that follow me, let me ask them if they want to help these people. It doesn't have to be me handing this person money and being like, hey, look at me. Like, no, like I try to mobilize an army of love and we're sweeping the nation in our dream machine, pulling up at people's houses, you know, throwing events for them, helping them build websites or, you know, like we just, we just out here trying and 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 that's that's what I think I would love to leave this earth with, like to show the next generation, like your kids, for example, that it could be fun to be a philanthropist. Like that could be a real life path. It doesn't have to be reserved for some rich old person. It could literally be a kid saying, let me try to build somebody a website and put it on my TikTok. That didn't cost money. It's just resources. Or let me meet somebody and try to call somebody to get something done. Like it's a new age of philanthropy. It's not just, you know, it doesn't have to be normal. It can be extraordinary. You could live an amazing life. You could tour the country. You could be cool. You could have everything you ever wanted by helping people. So let me ask, as you think about this mission you have now in life and the way that you define success, what's the difference between the way that CEO Charlie defined success back in the day and the way that Charlie Rocket and the Dream Team define success today? Well, one of the biggest things was, like, I was very fortunate in the music industry and I saved all my money. So I was lucky enough to be a millionaire. But without my dream and facing death, which we all will, we'll all face death, to have money and not my dream, I felt incomplete. And I, 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 I said to myself, you know what, first thing is selfish, a little selfish to like want your dream. But then once you have your dream, dedicate your life to helping others. And I wanted to become a new type of millionaire after my dream came true. But I had to take care of myself first. I had to lose the weight. I had to reverse my brain tumor. I had to be selfish for my dream, but I deserve it. And everybody listening deserves it. But then once you have it, what are you going to do after that? And I said to myself, I want to be a new type of millionaire. I want to be a millionaire who changes a million people's lives. And I'm going to show up every day and try. Uh, and uh, that's why we built, built an app. We built an app called Dreamer, and it's a whole ecosystem. And uh, last week, we were number 18 on the charts on, on the app store. And it's like blowing up. And it's just all these people because like, like in the 
mindset, the human nature is normal human nature. Like, uh, like, what do you do? Like, that's what people ask, or that's like a LinkedIn type philosophy or just a normal human philosophy of what do you do? I want to change that. I want everybody to start off with what's your dream because it connects you on just such a soul level. And it's talking about the future. It's not talking about the present or the past. And, and there's this community that we're building of hundreds of thousands and now millions of people all starting off with what's your dream and they're connecting on a soul level. And it's a very philanthropic, just a, a culture of, I might not be able to change your life, but I got a resource for you. And we're creating this community. So we're still at the beginning. It's in its infant stages, but they, we're not going to stop. Well, the beauty is with your delusional optimism, the sky is truly the limit. So I am excited to continue to watch and be inspired by your story. If anyone who is listening questions if they as an individual can have impact on life or the lives of others, trust that Charlie is an example of someone who just has the conceit, the hubris to believe that he can change the world. And because of that belief, he's doing it. Charlie, if someone wants to follow you or learn more about the work that you're doing, where do you direct people? Um, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, it's just at Charlie on both of those. Um, Real quick, can we just acknowledge how rad you are that you have a Instagram handle that is just your single first name? Charlie is your Instagram handle. Come it's on. It's kind of a manifestation. It's really magical how I got the name. People would be mind blown if they knew, but we'll save that <laughs> for the next one. All right. I end every conversation with the same question of each of our guests. If you could leave our audience today with a single takeaway, an idea, a question, an actionable piece of advice, what is the one thing that you want to leave with our listeners today? Yes. I'm going to leave the listeners with the one thing that changed my life forever. And when I was in a really depressed state where I felt like I was losing in life, I made a paradigm shift. And I went to Starbucks and I got my cup of coffee. And I said, because normally, Dave, I order a latte. Okay. And a latte usually costs $5 and some change. But I said, you know what? I'm going to order the ingredients individually today because I want to lose a little bit of weight. So I'm going to have them do a little bit less almond milk. So I, I said, give me a double shot of espresso on ice with a splash of almond milk and two raw sugars, which are the ingredients of a latte. And the lady behind the counter, she said, that would be $2.47. I said, all that happiness for $2.47? I'm on a winning streak. And then when I walked out of that Starbucks and I got in my car and I got the green light, I said, I'm on a winning streak. And then when I got to the grocery store and there was a good parking spot, I said, I'm on a winning streak. And I decided from that moment on, even though I was losing in life, everything was crashing down on me. I said, I'm going to be on a winning streak and everything in my life changed. My frequency changed, what I attracted changed, who I became changed. And if I leave one thing with anybody, start your winning streak, be a delusional optimist and say it's going to be easy. This is your only life. This ain't your practice life. So if you're going to live one, you might as well live the most interesting life 
ever lived. So go dream, close your eyes, go into the future, write it down, tell everybody abracadabra style and know it's already done. Time just hasn't caught up yet. Let's go. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, please remove your hats, stand up and take a bow. Charlie Rocket, I appreciate you, brother. I am excited for everyone to get to know you better and to be inspired by the work that you are doing on the Dreamer Tour. If you, as a listener, took anything from this episode, please take a picture on the device that you are listening to in real time. Copy me, tag me, tag Charlie, at Charlie. Tell a friend, tell every person you've ever met in your entire life how you were inspired by the work that Charlie's doing. Between now and next week, declare that you are on a winning streak. Believe it to be true. You will find evidence of it throughout your week. I will see you next time on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.